0: you And welcome back to The Pod and The Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all franchises, one movie and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and I am joined again by two of my favorite people. We are here to talk about a fantastic movie tonight, and let's do some introductions. Not many people I would really want to have more by my side here in A Night of a Purge. Two people that would have my back. Maybe even take a bullet for me. I don't know. Up first from the bodies of... I see you there. Up first from the bodies of horror podcast, we have Nicole Goebel. Nicole, how are we?
1: Doing great, primed and ready uh, to purge.
0: Yeah, and this one's on
1: your home turf. It certainly is.
0: So you have to defend your territory right now.
1: Or just weep.
0: Or just, you know... Stay locked in. Yes. Also joining us from Ghouls Magazine, we have Ario Powers-Shaw back again. Ario, how are we?
2: We're doing great. We're ready to give up the funk. We're ready to hit the safe house. We're ready to find the tunnels. I'm here for it.
0: That's right. We are here this year for 2016's The Purge election year, a movie that. Not at all has any parallels to the hellscape that we've lived through for the past seven years. I'm sure there won't be any (laughs) rage crying or flinging of objects as we go through tonight. Uh, But before we kind of talk a little bit about the background of this movie, let's gather our first thoughts and impressions. And Nicole, since this is the first time you're joining us for the Purge series, why don't you kick things off but also tell us? It's purge night. Mm-hmm. You're out there running the streets with your crew. What crime are you committing when you're out on purge night?
1: Your girl is only committing the crime of buying pot at six fifty nine okay. and just hunkering down, feeling fine. Actually, though, to be real, like I would probably be more of the Laney uh, type person and... As someone who works in policy and advocacy, I would probably be spending the non-Purge uh, time actually like, all right, let's get safe houses set up. Let's figure out making sure that there is some kind of emergency medical intervention for folks who who need it. Um, and so, yeah, I think by the time the night arrives, I'm either just like it's, I'm, I'm tired, it's time to sleep, mm-hmm. or it's, all right, let's find uh, a drunked-out ambulance and go save some people.
0: You would be one of the do-gooders, is what you're saying.
1: I would hope so. I say <clears throat> all of that, and I'm also so fucking petty that, mm-hmm. like, you know, that person that cut me off uh, walking to work, meet me, mm-hmm. meet me at 702.
0: <laughs> yep, absolutely. You know, the person who got your order wrong at Starbucks.
1: Spelled my name without an H. Dead. Who the fuck are you? Like Dead.
2: Dead person walking, that's who. Yeah. Yep.
0: I'm waiting for one of our co-hosts to be like, yeah, here's what I would do and go on like a detailed rant. Like they put a lot of real thought and effort into like, and have a list. Like, let me tell you right now, like here's a list. Um, I had a situation at a school, the school I work at last year, where a kid after that show Death Note came out Mm -hmm. uh, that Mm -hmm. put together their own. It was mostly kids they're friends with. So I saw that they got called in and I, I I had to give it to the principal and I'm like, look, before you go house on this kid, I just want to bring you up to speed. This is like an anime show. It's really popular with kids. I don't think we're going to have like a real issue here, but we kind of just have to address it. So let's not go bananas. But because it was like done up in the style, like the whole paper was like done up in the style. And that's literally what it was. But, you know, in 2022, 2023, you see that you're like, what the fuck? He just probably wanted the
2: Shinigami demon to follow him around and eat apples. Possibly, possibly.
0: Nicole, Mm -hmm. your impressions of uh, the Purge election year, though, as I digress here.
1: Uh... First thoughts. Yeah, I. Wow. Um, I love this franchise. My favorite of maybe the last 20 plus years. Really? Yeah, I adore this franchise. And I think that I am so enthralled by the world building and the layers that it adds with each film. Um, I think it's really smart. I don't know if it's always intentional, but I think it's really smart. Uh, I love that we start out getting these really interpersonal uh, kind of relationship, uh, familial dynamics in the first film. And it's kind of a straightforward home invasion. Then you get, I don't know, um, kind of a, a video game slash almost zombie type film with anarchy with a who do we trust we're out in the streets now we're we're exposed to the elements and who who can we trust and um i love that and then you get here where you start to really inject even more of this political landscape why are we here where have we gone and really adding in an additional texture being from D.C. having seen all of these in um, the theater I was excited and I say like this is set in D.C. I think they shot overhead shots Mm -hmm. in D.C. I don't think it was actually like shot in D.C. so I have to give that disclaimer but I, you know, I'm a sucker for a political film set in DC um, using poorly constructed sets to mimic the places I walk on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's a really nice addition to the world building. I think it mm-hmm. does a really nice job.
0: When did this series become your favorite of the past 10 to 20 years? Like by what entry were you like all in and this was your favorite?
1: I would say, honestly, it might be this one, but I think it really kind of came full circle with the first purge. Okay. I think then I fully got locked into a message and an idea and appreciated what everyone was kind of bringing to the table in terms of, uh, you know, the first Purge, I think, is the the one that has DeMonaco not really at a specific helm, and appropriately so. And I really appreciated the fact that we go from, here's where we are, let's go back to start, to where... We really started with this experiment, so yeah, I would say I really locked in there. But this will always be the one that I go back to. And I still, um, I some friends and I jokingly decided to watch this on January 6th, um, because we started getting these emergency alerts on our phones like, stay home. Don't go out. Um, and the end moments where they're like, the protests have gotten violent, um, just shook me because then we are starting to get, you know, the alerts of, hey, there's this police activity here. There's this happening here. Really encourage you to stay home. Don't go out. down if you live in these neighborhoods so yeah it's there was something i think especially impactful in not my most recent watch but one of my more recent watches Mm -hmm. going back to that moment and just kind of being like oh
0: interesting so this was the comfort horror you threw on as your home city is getting ransacked by like the proud boys as you do as one does okay very very interesting okay Ari how about yourself
2: yeah so um I was just like in awe of of listening to what you had to say Nicole I was just like oh that sounds so interesting so sorry for it took me a second there to be like (laughs) oh yeah I talked to um I first saw this one in September of last year so, I was super late to the party on this one, but it was like, I was all in right away. Because like I, as I said on the first episode, I watched the first Purge movie during the first COVID lockdown. And then like, I kept thinking about it and wanting to watch the other one. So I, I bought the blu Ray set last year sometime, like last summer or fall. And I started watching them and Letterboxd tells me that I watched it in September. So that's how I know. I love the melodrama of this one. It is so self-aware, you know. The first movie, and even uh, the second movie to some extent, are pretty serious, self-serious. And I think that that works. I think that that's fine for them. But by election year, they go, okay, we know what we're doing. And, like, the opening scene is so ridiculous and over-the-top that it just sort of sets the tone for everything else you're going to do. But being so melodramatic, it still manages to get across all these messages that I know we're going to get into and to be so, um, you know, relevant to where we are, where we were at the time and where we are now. Um, I love the threads that go through the series so far and like the... um, like the way they connect the different movies. It reminds me of my favorite franchise. The Saw franchise is also very good at that with like connecting one movie to the next. So um, I like that I get a little taste of that with a Purge franchise. So yeah, I just love this one.
0: It was the first time watch for me. This was the only one in the series that I hadn't seen to this point. Don't know again, like don't know why I skipped out on it. Um, And I watched it the same day that I watched cocaine bear. And if you would have told me that cocaine bear wouldn't be the dumbest movie that I watched that day. If you said like, I'll bet you a hundred dollars that you'll watch a movie dumber than cocaine bear today. And I would have taken that bet and I would have lost a hundred dollars. <laughs> Cause this movie is aggressively dumb. And I say that in a kind and loving way. I see both of your faces right now. um, And I'm trying to like dig myself out of this hole here because I don't necessarily think dumb is a bad thing. Um, It is a very silly movie. It's I think of that line in Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they're like, let's not go to Camelot. It's a silly place. And I kind of like feel like that about this movie Um, because it it completely moves away from a horror by this entry. Like it's not a horror movie. It's an action movie and it has all the tropes of like a big, dumb eighties action movie. And it, it just like you, we just talked about the opening. I want to talk about like the timeline of this movie and how some characters don't age in this movie, but it's fun. I mean, like it's very cartoony. Um, the, Young ladies that are the girl, the young women that steal candy from the convenience store. I have all sorts of feelings about them. They're it's hyper violent in a way that you can't be afraid of because it's just so odd. It's fun seeing some of the cast members from Ah, uh, Lost, especially Elizabeth Mitchell, who played uh Juliet and Lost basically transport that character over wholesale like facial expressions and all to this movie. Like she's playing the same character and it's fun to watch here. And I, and it ends in a hopeful note. Mm-hmm. It's like really the first one. Well, I guess the second one does too, but it ends in a moment of hope and you kind of think, okay, if this is where the series ends, things are going to be okay. It is disquieting watching this movie and Seeing how many of the things that they show here that you're like, this will never happen. How over the top can we go? Like, how ridiculous can we make this movie? And then see these things come to fruition between, like, November of 2016 and the present day. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit disturbing. Like, how... This movie, like I said in the first episode, like it's written and directed by Nostradamus because so much of this stuff has kind of come to pass.
1: I'm so intrigued by the idea that this ends on a positive note. Because I know. Okay, absolutely.
0: Well, well, let's save that. Not let's, when we get into the movie discussion, let's definitely talk about that. Because to me the purge is over. but we'll save it for the we'll save it for the movie talk. Okay. I, I think I know where you're going with it, though, and I get what you're saying, so maybe I spoke a little too soon, but I think the overarching political narrative ends in a positive.
1: note. No, and I, I think that that's what's so fascinating is that um, especially not to jump ahead but when you get to the first purge you are destroyed I think mm-hmm. at the end of that film yeah. Um, so I, I completely understand there being like a glimmer of hope but I think I also again like have that experience of hey here's your phone blowing up because people are wrecking your town and then a fictional movie being like people are wrecking your town <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. horrifying it's just it's Final. it's a horrifying just thing to okay. put together
0: yeah we'll definitely get into the end of this movie uh, later on in, later on in the discussion because I, I hear what you're saying there I think it's it's it leaves it open for a sequel. Like it's supposed to be a capper to a trilogy, but it definitely leaves it open for more, which we'd see in 2021 when the forever purge comes out. And mm-hmm. it's like aft set after this movie, Um going to go very briefly into some of the background of this movie. There's not a ton on it. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Like one of the things I noticed when, doing some research for this movie when compared to the purge Anarchy is Demonico was like a lot less out doing press ahead of election year. Ahead of Anarchy, like there were easily like a good half dozen to a dozen interviews with different outlets that he did. And it was funny reading them because like some of them were straight up antagonistic. Like I really didn't like the first movie because there wasn't a lot of purging in it. What's going to be different this time. And demonic was saying, we give you that in this movie. And then because anarchy is such a success, maybe there's less of a need to do the full bolt boat press tour, like the apology tour and be like, no, really we're going to show you what you want this time around. But after the success of the second movie, Blumhouse and Universal greenlight a third. It was originally envisioned as a prequel to Anarchy and to the first movie. And it was going to show how the Purge got started. But when Frank Grillo expressed interest in coming back and playing his character again, that idea was pushed back. And the idea of this being a trilogy. And election year being a a capper to the series was put on in its place. A good chunk of the film is shot in D.C. Um, Well, maybe not a good chunk. A chunk of the film is shot in D.C. The safe house they use for Senator Rowan. It's the same home they use for Frank Underwood in Netflix's House of Cards. Which I thought, like, this looks a little bit familiar. Um, uh, Most of the movie is filmed about an hour south of me in providence rhode island and uh Socket, rhode island and i think the state capital the rotunda in providence like they use that as a stand-in for the capitol building and the white house so but that is like it's did not know that but that is where a good chunk of the movie was shot like right in providence which is a really beautiful little city um although Grilla was coming back uh carmen ajago who played Eva in Anarchy like she explicitly states in interviews like she has no interest in coming back she's you know as an actor i want to try different things and take on different roles but she kind of like laughed off the idea of getting approached or even wanting to come back and do another one of these movies like Anarchy it's a co-production between Blumhouse Universal and Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes which is fascinating. because I think you do see a lot of like the Michael Bay touches in anarchy and this movie, but it's also platinum dunes was probably and still is probably best known for making the remakes of the Ots from Oh three, starting with Texas chainsaw massacre all the way through like a nightmare on Elm street in 2010. And I, I thought they did a lot more of them I think at one point we we took a look When we did our Texas Chainsaw remake episode And it was maybe a total of like Five or six remakes total That Platinum Dunes did It was not a crazy number of movies
2: Yeah, Lionsgate did a bunch Yeah And then like Smaller offshoots of like Fox And Dimension and Universal did some But in my head for the longest time I was like Platinum Dunes did them all
0: Exactly. And now they're probably best known for the quiet place Mm -hmm. movies, but it wasn't too long after a nightmare on Elm street. Didn't tank at the box office, but it had that massive drop off after the first week. And I don't know anybody who likes that movie. I don't know anyone who does. I don't want to know anybody who likes that movie. Uh, I would be very suspicious of those persons, Um, you're awfully quiet there, Ariel. You're awfully...
2: I don't... Listen. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't like the movie. I just feel bad for the actor who played Freddy. I can't remember his name. Because I just feel Mm -hmm. like he was set up to fail, and his performance is not the problem. But I don't ever want to watch that movie again, so... I, whatever on he my face not, was giving that away, I don't know.
0: He is, you could just just tell, get <laughs> awfully quiet. It's uh, Jackie Earl Haley yes. of Beverly, of of uh, the Bad News Bears fame and a bunch of other great movies. He's also Rorschach in The Watchmen's. He's not the problem right. in the movie. And
2: I feel bad for no. him, you know. Not no. that he needs, he's it's probably just, fine. He doesn't need me to feel bad yeah. for him.
0: But what if he was having a really bad day and he just happened to hear that right now? And he's like, you know, thanks. I'm glad someone was looking up. for If I me. could
2: make a day better, why wouldn't I?
0: <laughs> why wouldn't you? Um, so no no, no disrespect to Jackie Earl Haley here. But Platinum Dunes is on board for these movies. Uh, and I think it, by this time, like Andrew Fuller had even said, like, we're out of the remake business. It's just not worth it for us anymore we want to focus on individual uh, individual horror films at this point. Um, James DeMonaco says in some of the rare interviews he did, actually it was more of the interviews he did for the first purge when he would go back and look at this movie. He was like, I didn't have Donald Trump in mind when I wrote the character of the leader or the president in the purge. It's he's writing it in 2015. And at that point, like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio are kind of considered more of the front runners along with Jeb Bush. Like Trump wasn't considered like a serious candidate at this point. So, and when you look at the mannerisms of the NFFA candidate in this movie, it's a lot more Ted Cruz. It's a lot more of that kind of like simpering, like condescending, face that you just want to punch as hard as humanly possible. Like it's a lot more of that. Um, as the campaign continues and the rewrites go on and as Trump picks up some steam, you do start to see some of the mannerisms of Trump put into like the leader of the NFFA, like the language he would use, how he would treat the underlings, uh, how he would treat kind of his, his uh, subordinates. Like all of that is Based on how you know you would see Trump in the media, um, the slogan the NFFA uses in this movie, "Keep America Great," would be trademarked by Trump in 2020 during his reelection campaign. So once again, life imitating art is just bananas. Movie, oops, movie is another hit. Um, it comes out on the over the 4th of July weekend. comes out July 1st, opens up second behind finding Dory and pulls in like just under 35 million. It makes close to 80 million in the US, another almost 40 million across the globe. So at 10 million bucks, it pulls in almost 119 million just at theaters. Were you? I don't think you were pro remake on that episode, Nicole. I don't. I I don't
1: think no. I don't think anyone. Nobody can, was pro. No one can be like super enthusiastic, a plus plus, a hundred out of ten for the remake. But I appreciated a lot of the bold choices that it made. They were oftentimes a mess. But if you're going to make changes in do really, um, I think, challenging things with uh, an IP. I think there were some ideas there.
0: Yeah. I really like when the star of the movie says she didn't want to do the movie. Well, that's my favorite thing is when she comes out and says, I really don't even know why I auditioned for the role. Um, and I probably shouldn't have taken the part that usually, every time you see that happen, you know, you're in for a 10 out of 10 good time. Snoozy
1: Mara is not someone for us to know. She's not for us to know. She's just for us to experience in film. And he did.
0: All right. Um, needless to say, this movie's a hit. 120 million before you even sell a Blu ray or a DVD or sell streaming rights. I think I read that, like, just in terms of how profitable this was, it comes in around like 44 million bucks, which is crazy for a a movie that is like so low budgeted. I mean, you're talking near Marvel money at this point. So, yes there are going to be more purge movies after this. Like the idea of just making this a trilogy, uh, even the least successful, which was the forever purge is still a pretty big hit. So there's talk of like the sixth movie now. So, but we're not here to talk about the first purge. We're not here to talk about the forever purge. We're not here to talk about the, Six movie, which is just a twinkle in James DeMonico's eye right now.
2: And you're Frank Grillo's talk about. eye.
0: That's true. <laughs> it's bringing him back. He's going to be in his 60s. And
2: he'll care. look like a teenager. Exactly. He'll look like a teenager. He's got a Benjamin Button thing where he get, gets mm-hmm. less old in every movie. Okay. Do
0: <laughs> Do you remember when Anger came back after being governor of California and every movie he did was like, it's Schwarzenegger, but he's old now. Like, he's Grillo's age in those movies. And Grillo
1: just looks like he can whip ass.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't go toe-to-toe with him, that's for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, but Grillo also wasn't, like, in office. He wasn't trying to do stuff. This is... This is not any commentary on Arnold Schwarzenegger's um, service as governor. It's not any um, kind of commentary on alignment with or against his beliefs. But I think we can see that being in office in many capacities ages you a Sure. about 30 years in sure. four to eight.
0: Okay, that's yeah. fair. That is a very fair point. That is a very, very fair point. Um, I was just commenting on how Frank Grillo looks like he could abso- absolutely snap my neck uh, with very little effort. Mm-hmm. So it'll be int- it'll be fun to watch him take up the role of Leo again when the sixth movie. Because it's not going to be an if. It's like when this sixth movie comes out. Yep. And you will so find I us do... at the theater. Yes. yes. And we will have to like, we'll cover yeah. it and he'll be standing behind me <laughs> gun to my head being like, you better say some kind words, motherfucker. Probably. Um, so let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about election year. And I do want to talk about the timeline of this movie because it broke my brain. Like this was the first thing that broke my brain. It takes place in 2040, which is 17 years after the Purge Anarchy. Like the Purge Anarchy, there's a, it's not hinted at, it is the in the title card, 2023, employment is just under 5%, blah, 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 crime is low. So this is 17 years later, and I have to ask, how does Frank Grillo look even younger? Don't tell me skincare routine. Don't tell me he eats, like, eight servings of, like, vegetables and antioxidants. Like, 17
1: years.
2: I think he must be drinking blood or something. Like, he found the fountain Mm -hmm. of youth, and he's not telling anybody.
1: Yeah, I think he's bathing in the blood of DC interns. And that's fine, as someone that tries to navigate the metro system during (laughs) intern season. Oh, God. Now... If we do like, I'm not a violent person, but if they, if intern season was time during Purge and they were not standing in the proper place on the escalator, could someone miss a step? Someone could miss a step.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you have intern season start on purge night and then all the potential interns have to take part in order to kind of like separate separate them out a little bit here
1: well I think probably the people that they're working for have arranged that for them Okay. so um, no I I say that as I, I have been very clear about I love people that come to our city and are tourists. I love interns. I love the turnover of our city. I just wish that people would listen to basic instruction. Um, and the interns really do not do well with this. And I understand. What do they do?
0: You can, you, you can tell us like what, 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 if you know, cause a few may be listening. You know there might be a couple. So what do they do?
1: Well, what they don't do, oh, is what they don't do. Um, again, uh, proper metro etiquette, which is, hey, you know, it, if there's like a stream of people coming down the escalator, don't block them. That's awkward for everyone involved. Um, don't stand in the middle of a sidewalk, or. Street to take a picture, to send home. Mm-hmm. Um, I have 10 minutes to get back to my cubicle before a meeting. And there's like 16 people milling about your blocking traffic. Um, also, your suits, I can't comment on them. They're fine. They're fine. So the,
0: the escalator thing, isn't it just general etiquette that you stand to the right and walk to the left like isn't
1: that just not even a dc thing it's but... it's said and over like it it's the narration when you enter mm-hmm. a station and yet it completely does not resonate with them they're like well i will stand here why what is this gaining you it's gaining me nothing it's gaining you nothing i don't know i have a lot of feelings
0: How long does the touristy part of the internship last where they're stopping and taking pictures? I have to imagine after a couple weeks, like that fades a bit.
1: So we start. So
0: this is fascinating. No, DC culture
1: is bizarre because tourist season starts truly like now, like in Mm -hmm. spring, because we're starting to get the cherry blossoms, people come walk around um and it's beautiful it's lovely i totally appreciate it um you so you have then large families you have schools that come and i work downtown i work near the tidal basin i work near the white house like that's kind of where non-profit triangle is and it's just like people people are moving because we need to get from point a to point b quickly and we want to like we want you to enjoy the space and have a great time but please like i don't know it's just it exasperates me every year i had a brief respite during like the height of the pandemic Not a lot of people milling about, and now we're back full force. And I'm talking
0: interesting, I hear that that sigh (laughs) says a lot, that sigh says more than paragraphs could, right there, Nicole. Yeah,
1: so this has been your DC minute.
0: Okay, I love it. What about you you have a note here though about the characters like that aren't young and alternate timelines What is that all about?
1: So one of the things that I really love about watching the first three together in particular is that you're start, like you're starting to see individuals that have only known the purge and are entering mm-hmm. into adulthood. They've only lived in this world. We kind of see, I think. Well, we don't. But I guess with um, the youngest kid in the first, the boy. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Charlie. Um, yes, Charlie, which makes sense because Charlie Roan. Um, I. Um. He. Like He's at an age to where he may have some memories of not purge time, but probably not a ton. And so you're starting to get these, these individuals that have only lived in that world. And I think that's really, really interesting. However, I think there's so much that you could have done with a time jump to hit on some really interesting ideas and it (laughs) they didn't they were like no we're just going to use this to age up this particular character it's like you didn't you didn't really even need to use that as the mechanism because we've seen people that have had a similar trajectory
0: there's no reason this couldn't take place in say 2024 a year after the purge anarchy, it would make sense when you, when you look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe like the the resistance leader character, I read in three different places that it's the same character from the first movie Mm -hmm. and the second movie Mm -hmm. played by three different people, but he has different names as well. Right. So that doesn't make sense to me either. Like I'm, Looking at, I think it's Dante Bishop. Um, Is he
1: played by... I thought it was always Edwin Hodges that played him.
0: I don't think so. Let's have a look. I could be completely wrong. Uh, I could be completely, completely wrong. Known for... Oh, yep, you're right. My bad. My bad on that. I was mistaking him with... One of the other characters. But
1: but see, like, he has, to me, a very similar trajectory as Charlie, which is someone that experienced this horrific purge event and goes on to be basically an activist, an Mm anti-purge activist. And that's interesting. You don't need to do the time jump. It's... Mm -hmm. It, it, it adds nothing, and so it's just – it makes it even more confusing because you keep – I think there's like a part of your brain that's like there's going to be something really interesting to this, and you no. Know.
0: Oh, I keep – the other thing, too, and I don't think this is on purpose. I don't think it's a – I just think they just move the time ahead. There's no advances in technology. Like smartphones have stayed stagnant. Automobiles have stayed stagnant. Um, housing, infrastructure. There's nothing that suggests quote-unquote the future in this movie, and if you're being charitable, you can say maybe the Purge has robbed us of ingenuity. Maybe we're just stagnant because as a culture, we're just going to stay in this place, and we're not making or building things anymore, and now we're stuck. I don't think the movie is that is trying to make that point. And I think it's just a matter of like. We're going to set it further in time. And you know what. The audiences are coming here to see. 90 minutes of mayhem. And we're going to deliver that. And they'll be happy with it. Well
1: and I think the the only other thing. With the time jump. That I was thinking about. Was that an interesting way. To use it would be. Let's see how. X amount of years of the purge. Has progressed. How has the purge changed? Have there been tweaks in some of these little details? You know, this is the first one where they're doing away with the stipulation of you can only go after these people of these rankings and these people are protected. Mm -hmm. Um, So it would be interesting to see if, you know, they're using this time jump to show some evolution in that, that maybe these anti-purge activists had made some kind of headway in saying, hey, we want to build some infrastructure here so that there are, you know, some precautions, you know, some emergency services that can um, intervene in situations, you know, because we often forget that outside of just people that are being murdered and involved in projectivities you also have individuals that at any moment in time can have a medical emergency and Mm -hmm. what do they do if you're having a heart attack at home if you're someone with a disability and but
0: don't they make it a point to explicitly say like all medical services are suspended like that is one of the Mm -hmm. it's like if you have a medical emergency at home you're just kind of S.O.L.
1: Yeah, but they also say that hospitals are safe. Mm-hmm. So you're not supposed to go. Again, while we never see a hospital in the films, they can't be attacked. So sure. I would assume that there is some, something where if someone needs additional medical care... They're probably being proactive and saying, okay, let me talk to my doctors, see if I can be admitted a couple of days before the purge mm-hmm. and be protected. Like, I would be interested to see if there's any kind of buffer that has been <sighs> introduced.
0: Yeah, I just don't think they're interested in that. No, they're not. But I think that you're much I think you and others are much more interested in the world outside of like that twelve hour period than they are. If that makes sense. Yeah. That makes perfect sense.
2: Can I so, say one thing I think the time jump does do well? You can
0: say three okay. things. You could say as many as I, you... Well, that's the point. If we were as quiet, it would be... It'd
2: be a weird podcast, odd. although there's it'd be very somewhere weird there's a niche. Find your niche. The point I was going to make about the time jump... And you're both making really good points. And as I'm listening, I'm like, ah, oh, dang. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But, like, the first thing I thought about about the time jump, and I just bought it and went with it, is that the senator roan you have to be 35 to run for president in america and they wanted somebody whose life had been impacted by the purge as a young person running for president and so they need to fill that time and i also think like her campaign is so hard because she's running against years and years and years of the purge now that we're talking about it, I'm like, I also would have liked to seen how The Purge has evolved over time, because it probably would have in some ways. But I'm kind of like, okay, they did that because they wanted someone old enough to run for president. But that's pretty thin.
1: But didn't the NFFA like, do away with like the term restrictions? Oh, did uh, they? Yeah. Oh. Because I think you have, like if you go into the history of kind of the leadership of the NFFA, I I wanna say that they kind of did away with like the term restrictions. So like you could be elected ten times. Um okay. but
2: that sounds plausible in that world, yeah.
1: But I think that you're but like you're right. I think it would be so interesting to see how these dynamics because I mean I think even the age thing, like, to have a a 21-year-old be like, I want to run, they're going to have a much harder time as someone who has an established career. Mm -hmm. She's built kind of her following as kind of this populist candidate. Mm -hmm. She's speaking to a very specific population.
2: Yeah.
0: A young Ben Wyatt runs at 18 and replaces The Purge with Ice Town.
2: Ice Clown loses Ice Crown over Ice Town. That's the second Ben Wyatt reference on this series so far.
0: It really is. It kind of makes sense. The Cones
1: cones reference sent me.
2: Are the Cones a metaphor? Well, yes and no.
0: (laughs) That's great. Oh, man. Um, All right. Let's talk about the tonal shift of this movie. I think it's set very early on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard to do uber serious when you got George Clinton blaring through the headphones, right? I mean, it's really hard. And I think that the music right away sends like a clear message to the audience. Like we are going to be shifting away from dystopian horror and moving much more towards like a straightforward action thriller, which just tends to be lighter anyway. I mean, when you really go back and think about like the action movies versus the horror movies from the eighties, like horror gets the bad name because of all the death and dismemberment and murder. But you watch a movie like commando and again, Arnold is just like going through villages, you know, Killing in dozens of people indiscriminately in a night, like in one scene in Commando or one scene in Predator, Schwarzenegger is is putting up a higher body count. But in one scene in in Commando, Schwarzenegger is killing more people than Michael Myers Mm -hmm. does in a dozen movies, and we don't care. What do we feel like the general tone of this movie is, and does it work? Do we? And I guess Nicole, I know your answer is gonna be yes, because like you said, this is what really brought you, you know, really cemented your love for this series.
1: Yeah, I I love the action tone to it. Again, I think one of the cool things is that each of these films feels a little bit different in terms of their genre and their approach. So I really like that. I think it's really interesting. Um, and I don't know, it's, I think this is one of the elements that make it rewarding to really ingest the entire series because I think it all just kind of comes together. It's a recipe that, putting all the things together really make it more cohesive and make certain elements that seem a little jaunty or strange feel a lot better in kind of a cohesive franchise watch.
0: What do you mean by jaunty?
1: Just not as well defined. Mm -hmm. So there are bits and pieces that are weaved in through all of the films. So like religion religion plays a really, I think, key factor in all of them. In the first film, it's just a mention when you get the warning, you know, blessed be uh, the New Founding Fathers. We're not told anything. We're not um, explained anything about any kind of new indoctrination or kind of... um, uh, you know, synergies between a certain religious belief and a political stance. By the time you get here, each film kind of layers in a new little element to it. And so by the time you get to uh, the Forever Purge, it all just kind of comes out like a, a baked cake. Um, with all the ingredients really melded together nicely and you kind of understand the build okay. to where you're like, oh, Well okay, well I want more of this. This feels really kind of cut off and truncated and then you kind of get more.
0: Yeah. I see like these the three movies we've watched, I see them more like a funnel mm-hmm. in that like your first one is really focused on one family. The second one gets to the street level and it shows like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is how like the majority of the population would experience this event. And then by the third movie, you're getting more into the politics of the purge. And it becomes like a much broader and you're seeing that kind of intersection of like religion, politics, and not the consumer class but your but big business corporations how like the three of them are all intertwined with one another and how all three of them make this event happen every year and who it maybe who it profits but you're doing that and you're introducing these really really heady ideas but you're doing it in a way where you can still blast Miley Cyrus and mm-hmm. have these like Christmas light wrapped cars that are driving through the empty streets with a bunch of like costume there's a line right in the movie like the purge is halloween for adults which my response is Tell like halloween is halloween, is halloween, for, halloween adults. for adults um but for a certain segment of the population this is party time like this is like gonna go out and it's like adult trick-or-treating but with a lot more murder and I think that that is a those characters are kind of a surrogate for the audience that is watching these movies that are like, yeah, this is fucking fun. Like, I'm going to boogie down in my seat to a little George Clinton and I'm going to cheer on some mayhem. What about yourself, Ari? Ari, what do you think when you what did you think look with the tone of this one?
2: Well, first, I want to acknowledge that Nicole said the franchise was like a cake. And you, Mike, said it was like a funnel. So the Purge must be a funnel cake. And now I just Absolutely. want funnel cake. So in a way, the Purge is like a carnival where you would get funnel cake. I can't make this work. I'm going to move off it.
0: It's the merry-go-round. <laughs> it's, it is the
2: <laughs> It's like funhouse fun mirror exactly. that shows
0: society
2: exactly. how bad we are. I was going to say, before my genius uh, funnel cake revelation, I was going to say, if the Purge franchise is a cake, then election year is like the buttercream flower on the edge that I'm like, ooh, give me that edge piece with the flower on it, because I want the extra sweetness. Okay, I'm going to move past it. I think the thing that really...
0: Tease it out, we'll get
2: there. (laughs) There's a lot of cake talk happening now. Um... I think the thing that makes Election Year really work for me are the characters. I love all of them. Um, In the very first Purge movie, not the first Purge, but in The Purge, I don't love all the characters. I think it's a great movie with a lot of great performances, but I'm not like super behind everybody. But when I watch Election Year, I'm just like rooting for everybody, no matter how like silly or over the top they are. Like, even just the regular at the at the corner store who's all about waffles and pussy, I'm like, I hope he has a great day, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, um, the line about pa- Paquita Muerta and um, Joe doing the crip whistle, like, it's all just very silly and over the top, but they all just execute it so well and it all just works so well together that, to me, the tone is like... Um, not like Army of Darkness, but like Army as Army of Darkness is to the Evil Dead, kind of the purge election year is to the purge, in that it's just willing to go way off the rails with silliness. And I think it works great. I think it's really fun.
0: Yeah. I I, I like that comparison to Army of Darkness in that like this one is not a comedy. Yeah. Like I wouldn't go as far to say like this movie is played for laughs, but it is deliberately lighter in tone than especially anarchy which is extremely bleak mm-hmm. what i mm-hmm. noticed re-watching the movie today ahead of the show is even the violence itself that is associated with the purge event like when you have these characters that just kind of like drop in and out of the movie and you don't really focus on them even that violence, it tends to be almost like a parody of what we were seeing mm-hmm. in Anarchy. Like you see a in the anar you see a twenty foot high guillotine that is on display that is being used. Mm-hmm. They have um, they have like swinging blades that are going pendulums that are going back and forth to cut people down. There's a car that has like bodies that are strapped to it. You have the um purge tourists mm-hmm. that are all dressed in like these garish costumes like dressed like the founding fathers so all of this is just meant to suggest this like hyper unrealistic exaggerated tone that it's hard to take it serious at that point again like we've used the comparison to the warriors before mm-hmm. we've talked about this movie it feels a bit like a mad max movie like yeah. you could easily see george miller directing something like this and i would say too like uh Brittany mirabelle who plays the uh teen girl that's the candy thieving teen when she shows back up like she's awesome yes. like she's just She didn't get her candy, so she's chewing the scenery up. (laughs) And you can tell it is a Michael Bay movie, or Michael Bay has some influence, because those young women are aggressively sexualized Mm -hmm. in that scene. Like, that that camera wanders over every single piece of exposed flesh in a way that even I'm like, that's a bit much. We can... We can scale that back a little bit. Like give me some shot of like Frank Grillo's abs as a (laughs) a little bit. Just give me some, give me some balance here. Okay. Um, And, but like even them, they're like, they understand the assignment. Mm -hmm. They are cartoonish villains and like the line, and she has one line that's pretty chilling. Like I already did my parents and I like, that's Fucked. It is. Like that is like wait a minute, like you murdered your parents tonight. Um because they're that's not good, but I just love every minute, mm-hmm. every minute she's mm-hmm. on, she's on great. screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do want to ask Frank Grillo is secretly incompetent at his job, right?
2: <laughs> In terms of protecting uh Yes. Rome?
0: Let me make my case because, Nicole, you're shaking your head. You're stunned, speechless. Let me tell you why Frank Grillo is – is Leo Barnes is bad at his job here. He hires a bunch of clowns that betray the senator at the first given opportunity. So, like, the vetting process, the background checks, like, not so good. He gets fooled by the oldest trick in the book, the, like, take over the cameras and have them play on repeat. Gets tricked by that. He gets shot escorting the Senator out and he gets shot with a tracer bullet. So he's giving away their location for about half the movie. The one character that's trying to help them in Joe, like good old Joe, who like opens his store up to them and leaves himself exposed to violence. He's giving Joe the third degree. Like he's all of a sudden trying to man up against him. And Joe's like, I'm just here to help man. And then later the senator gets kidnapped under his watch so frank grillo secretly terrible bodyguard like if he if frank grillo was cast in the bodyguard starring kevin costner and whitney houston there would be no i will always love you cuz whitney would be dead by the end of act 1 cuz he'd be such a terrible bodyguard
1: that's a lie how is this a lie those facts they happened in a the lie. movie that's a lie he loves her he's in love with her
0: he's in love with the senator
1: most Um, definitely god this sexual tension um is disgusting (laughs) it repulses me um because that's not on my porn hub um I don't want like a bodyguard is not a porn hub category for a reason it's too much it's too much do we know that for sure I feel like it
0: I'm looking this up right now. Hold on. <laughs> this is the Nicole, keep going while I.
1: Um, no, I I do. you raise every valid point in that
0: I spit he, facts. That's what I do.
1: Um he he fails constantly. But he looks good while doing so. Sure. And she seems okay with it. She's like, you know what? I don't, we don't know how long she's kind of utilized his services. <laughs> and I'm using that term because <laughs> um, the services are wide ranging. Um, but I think that he. I think it's one of those things that when you get into kind of the political structure of it, it's like, well, he's somehow gotten this job probably through connections that he had through various kind of like anti-purge activist things and was able to make a name for himself there. And then, um, you know, you have the, the party in control that's then filling in the other spots. And so I think that he was kind of fighting a losing battle there to begin with. Now, yes, as a bodyguard, as someone who is specifically there to protect her, should he, I don't know do basic checks right I would think so I'm
0: but pretty you know sure what? it's in the job description do not let the person you're guarding get kidnapped but like that would be in the she
2: doesn't die so maybe he did great who are we to judge I don't me. like people telling me how to this do my job
0: this is a low bar And not because
1: of him
2: She. But now you're like, turning on
1: him Nicole does, I was coming to your side No, he is too in love. Like, he's too, like, this is...
0: That he needs to resign his position.
1: He does, and that's what you do, and that's what's important. But he doesn't, and that's okay. But, no, he... Like, he is kind of a mess. The whole, like, you need to bunker down, and I will bunker down with you. But yet also sixteen other people will come into this space. Do I know their names? Now that well? is a Pornhub category. <laughs> that is that That yeah. most
0: certainly is.
1: But I yeah, I mean logistically speaking, no. But I I do think that he really does like he is really committed to her and her cause. And he would, I I think, if he had to take a bullet because he just planned poorly um, for her. Again, if he would do some due diligence, he would. They would both be safer. Um, I think he would. So, is he bad at this job? Yes.
2: You know, we only is see it... him at work for one day.
0: I... Well, it's a pretty important. Who among day, us
2: but... hasn't made a mistake at work? hmm <laughs> well no
1: because we see them
2: don't we see them the day
1: before when she's like at a um like at an yeah and yeah, she doesn't debate. get kidnapped or killed that debate.
2: day so honestly
1: and he is freaking out because he's like no 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 the approachable candidate can't mingle with mm-hmm. the people must protect and then you're like no 16 people please come in Let's chill, don't know you, don't know about your tattoos that are obviously something that would be apparent. I, yeah, no, I I just, I like Leo. I think his journey from anarchy to electioneer is actually kind of interesting. It very much mimics Laney's in a lot of ways. And... Um, I I like him, but yeah, he is bad at his job. I want him to do better, but he loves her and that's okay.
0: Well, let's, Fighting for
1: them, rooting for them.
0: Let's talk about the woman he loves. Let's talk about Senator Charlie Rowan, played by Elizabeth Mitchell here, who again, I best know her as Juliet from Lost and I feel like she brings a lot of that same energy mm-hmm. to the role here, like that kind of knowing smirk that Juliet had in loss. I think you see that throughout the movie here with Senator Rowan. She is very much like a one. She has like one issue on her platform and that is the purge is really bad. It needs a good platform to run on. Mm-hmm. Like I am would be, you know, I usually am not a like one candidate, Person, but if you're going to run on a platform, the one where people don't get murdered once a year is probably a pretty good one to take. I am very, very pro not having the purge. <laughs> um, what's interesting is the reason why persons seem to be fed up with the purge isn't because it's culling the population, it's she's exposed the fact that insurance companies weapon companies security companies are all in cahoots with the government and all of them are profiting to exorbitant like it's it's come out all of the corruption under the surface of the purge has started to come out and that's what it's kind of taken for persons to turn against it it's not like hey it's probably a pretty bad thing that tens of thousands of persons are getting killed every year. It's like, hey, someone is profiting off of all of these deaths.
2: Yeah, that is true. It's it's more about the money. Maybe the money is how you get people... Because we talked in the first episode about how some people didn't recognize the problem of the purge until it came to their doorstep. Mm-hmm. So maybe if someone hasn't been personally affected by the purge... Maybe getting them to think about the money is how you get their vote. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's the right angle to play. I mean, clearly she has much more of a personal connection than that, but maybe that's the politically Mm -hmm. savvy thing to do. Yeah. I think also
1: you're, I mean, it's a political game, right? Like money talks in politics. And so, she, I think there is a fine line between I am a politician, I understand how to play the game, I understand how this works, versus being a, hey, I understand the horrors of Purge. I experienced seeing my family killed, and I know that death is bad, um... But I do think that, you know, we're how many years into the purge and what is the line that you take with people to truly get them on board with being anti-purge at this point? What like what is going to get these folks to truly see the horrors that this has brought on, how it's not doing anything is purported to do? I think you guys did a really brilliant job at pointing out in the anarchy episode of um is this a continuity error with the fact that the unemployment rate has gone up yeah um and yeah it's it's never um you know the the new founding fathers are all about money the fact is they want to eliminate um you know swaths of the population Because they want to be able to have money. right? Because if you do that,
0: you're spending less on social services. You don't need as large of a social safety net. You don't have to have... Although I'm going to imagine that the NFFA has eliminated the national health... has, Has eliminated Obamacare, basically. I think that would be one of the first things to go. But... The social safety net has been cut. Um, social security has probably been cut. You have to spend less on services if there are less people in that bottom rung at that point to, to Yeah, service.
1: exactly. Eliminate the people who need them and then it becomes a, a really simple game of math of, no, hey, I can easily now go to my constituents, to the people, and say... This is money that I could be, that I could be spending on you, because you see, we're not using it here anymore. Hey, this program that protected individuals that were in this category—well, mm-hmm. they're not here anymore. So, do you
0: do either of you find her a particularly inspirational figure? Because I do believe that the movie wants the audience to believe that Rowan is an inspirational figure. And I think Nicole, you kind of hit it on the head when you said like, she has that narrative. Like she has the personal narrative. I watched my whole family butchered in front of me. And therefore I'm the right person to lead the country past this. I am fighting for the soul of this nation. But do you find that like that resonates?
2: I, um, like, Gosh, people describe me as gullible, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I'm like, hey, but also I can't argue against it. So like I can get easily swept up in a sales pitch. So take that for what it's worth. But I really was on board with her when she was like, I'm going to stay home like everybody else. Mm -hmm. My voters are all in their homes So I'm not going to sneak off to somewhere else. You can secure my house. Like, might as well take a practical step and do that because we can. But I'm going to stay home. Um, And then that, you know, probably wherever she went, she was going to get in trouble because those people were going to infiltrate wherever she was. But I was like, yeah, she's a woman of the people. So um, Mm -hmm. certainly within the world of the movie, I found her inspirational. Would I buy it in real life? Yeah, probably. But I would like try harder not to. No. She's <laughs> not. Um and
1: Joe and Dante both are like okay. Um because I think that they they appreciate the fact that she is one of the only anti purge politicians that have that has gotten to the point of where she is. Again, this is where I would love a little bit more history. Is she the first um, politician to really stand on that platform? Of just so you know, I am eliminating the purge when I am elected. Right. Um, I would just like so, to. I'm
0: sorry, interrupt. You. Keep keep.
1: So I. I, I would love to know, like, is she really that scrappy um, person that has come up and has made it as far as she has? Because, of course, there have been activists, anti-purge activists from the jump, um, from the experiment. And so I'm I'm interested in that. But I think that Joe and Dante in particular, like, Dante has been in the trenches. This is someone that we saw in the first film um, early on in the sequence of the purge, not far removed from the time frame that Charlie would have seen her family executed. And he has gone on to be part of this huge movement. Um, this grassroots movement that is building and connecting all of these people um, to make inroads to stop um, and protect people um, during the purge and then you have a politician who comes in and can say a lot of nice words but they're getting protections they're getting resources This is the first year that she's really been on the line because she has been a protected person. No one could come for her. Um, So I, I find kind of there, they appreciate the fact that she's stating what she's stating because that's the nature of doing any kind of advocacy work. We can do all the work on the ground level, but we also need a voice in the legislator.
0: Let's legislation. So, yeah. And I want to return to some of the politicians or political statements this movie is making, but I want to, cause you, we've mentioned Joe, we've mentioned Laney. Now we've mentioned Dante. Let's talk a little bit about the characters that are affected at the street level. The ones that really feel the impact of mm-hmm. the purge. I think this one dives into it here Uh, one of the, it's a brief but interesting moment in the movie, and I think, Ari, it's one that you alluded to when, you know, I mentioned I hadn't seen this movie, is when the insurance company calls Joe at 6.55 the night before the purge starts and says, your rates have just gone Mm -hmm. up. If you don't pay us the rate right away, you won't have any protection. And there's really nothing he can do. Mm -hmm. And I, one character even says, I think it's, um, you know, Marcos who says to him, like, it's just stuff. Like, it's just, don't worry, we we can replace it. But when you have poured all of your sweat equity, all of your money, all of your time into building something, even as small as just the local bodega, that's all you have. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's you, you can't just say, like, well, it's okay if people come in and overrun it. I have to do what I can to protect it, whether it's paying my insurance or whether it's sitting on the rooftop with a, with a shotgun and a sixer to make sure that nobody is going to get in here tonight. Um, but you see the skepticism, especially with, like, Laney, where she's like, it's just another politician saying, saying the word. Uh, saying some nice words but is it going to actually mean anything what do you think it means for these characters to live in this world two plus decades into the event
2: yeah i mean it's a completely different world even though charlie roan had her family all killed in front of her um laney and marcos and joe are just in a different world than she is, experiencing different things with different challenges, and, like, Charlie Roan gets a safe house built around her with a secret trap door, when Joe loses his protection, his is old school security on the roof, with a gun, as you said, and, um, can't imagine abandoning his store and letting it go to the purge. So, I think, I mean... It's cheesy, but the whole movie's cheesy and I am here for it. Like to have Charlie Rowan sort of like coming down literally like her house is at the top of a hill and she like comes down into where the store is and goes into the store and like acts grateful and is grateful and takes seriously what Marcus says. I he um he tells her she needs Florida. She probably already knew that. But it's a really sweet scene, I think, because she just listens to him, which is mm-hmm. how you want a politician to respond to their constituents. And so I really like those scenes between them. I, I know it might not, you know, be the most realistic, but I think it was important to have someone who is actually saying the words meet the people who are out there doing the work. And it just made her commit to her cause even harder. Um, so yeah. I really like that.
0: I do I think where this movie runs into trouble is how it uses its characters of color in that like there are not one but two magical Negro character tropes that are used here in that you have Joe both Joe and Dante eventually lay down their life in order to protect uh, Senator Rowan and uh, Leo. Joe sacrifices himself. Like he gets shot at the end in Dante. Who's the head of this huge resistance movement sacrifices himself, And he kind of goes out in a way that's almost, it's almost an afterthought. Like he, you know, runs his car into the barricade and then just gets shot up and then that's it. And I think this movie tries to do, or this series as a whole, tries to do right by its characters of color in that it shows them often being the ones that are the least likely as a whole to want to take part in the purge. And it's often what you're seeing are the rich acting as hunters. You're seeing interlopers come into their neighborhoods to hunt them down by and large. And you see the characters of color trying to stay together as a community, but the flip side of that is like they're often seen as disposable in this series that like the violence against the NFFA it's acceptable when you have like your white characters that are committing it. Like um, Leo can shoot down as many white supremacists as possible. He can stab them in the neck. He can take that little knife blade out, stick it between his fingers and start like gutting away at people in hand to hand combat. And, Nobody really raises an eyebrow when he does that. Like that's totally acceptable for that to happen. But when it's the resistance movement, which is made up all of black men, when they take matters into their own hand, when they say, Hey, the people that are responsible for this event, like the people that have orchestrated the mass murder of millions of people over 20 years, they're all going to be in this one location. They're not going to know what, what's hit them. And we have, the ability to get them all right now, tonight, we can get in, we can get out. And you almost feel like they have a responsibility to do that. You know, it goes to the age old question. If you go back in time, would you kill baby Hitler? You know, when they do that, all of a sudden the film takes a step back and it's like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Like if we actually commit this violence, if we go after the people that are violent against us, then we're in the wrong here. We're doing the wrong thing. We can't stoop to their level. And it's only when the people that are the most oppressed are fighting back against their oppressors that that question comes up.
2: Yeah, go ahead, Nicole. I don't want to cut you off.
1: I I think that's really fair. And I guess, again, there's a little bit more nuance because you're also watching this hopefully kind of connected to anarchy where you are seeing really the i guess come up of this group um and i think i don't think maybe it's this film i think it's this film i don't think it's the forever purge which would be the only other one it would be in maybe maybe anarchy there's like a throwaway line about maybe it is anarchy there's this throwaway line a barely a mention of um her name is mary in the first film right Mm -hmm, yeah the wife Mm -hmm. um So, there's this brief mention that she is kind of, like, spearheaded, um, kind of uh, an arm of an anti-purge.
0: Never knew that. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And it feels strange in connection to all of this because again, you have Dante who has really been kind of a nuts and bolts person of this group. He's been there with Carmelo as he's been, you know, building it up. He's had this experience. He's, um, I, and he very specifically calls out Charlie and says like, you know, we're the ones that are doing the work and you need to be a voice for what we're doing Mm -hmm. know that like you have a you have a nice house you have all of this we're doing the work so um make sure that you're giving um you know respect to kind of the work that's being done Mm. and i i don't know like it, it it is strange Um, but I don't know, there's something that feels, I don't know, kind of like there, there may have been something that there was an idea that just didn't kind of make it into the script or into the story to maybe make it seem a little more fleshed out, a little bit more, I I don't know. I think that
0: these are movies that have really big ideas that try to wrestle with really big issues, but yeah. the their reach exceeds their grasp. They're not able to really... It's almost left to others to look at these movies and say, here's what the series is going for, and kind of flesh yeah. it out. I don't know if they would be able to. Ari, what were you going to say on this?
2: Um. I, I think it's a really good point pointing out that um, white people essentially show up and say, no, stop doing violence. And it's kind of like uh, they're clueless to everything that happened before they showed up there. It's kind of like, hey, guys, let me bring you this new idea of no violence. Bet you never tried that. Right. Um, so I, I think that's really important and I think that is whether or not the movie meant to do that I think that's a very realistic reflection of how things can happen where um you know there's uh, there's the white savior trope where they're like mm-hmm. I'm going to show up and I'm going to save you from yourselves and I'm or save you from yourselves and I'm going to set everything right. And I really really like that um, I believe his name is Angel. He the one of the characters in the film he won't be talked out of his plan. He's like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to, we've worked on this plan for a long time. We have all this together. Now's the chance to do it. We're going to do it. She keeps telling him no. And he's like, yes, we are going to do it. Like, you can't stop us. And I really liked his determination because whether or not you agree with his plan, he's, you know, she's showing up having thought about it for two minutes and she's still coming at it about how it affects her campaign. Right. She's like, if you do this, his de- his is a martyr's death, and then I lose the presidency. And it's kind of like, I know you want to win the presidency so that you can do good things, but maybe that's not the best argument to not kill someone. If you really think the violence here is wrong, make your argument about that. So I think that scene... Um, You could spend a lot of time picking apart that dynamic in the film. It's definitely there and it's definitely uh, meaningful whether or not it means to be, I think.
0: Yeah, and we can argue that it takes a lot of narcissism to want to be a politician. Yeah. To be like, look, I know what is going to be best for a large group of constituents as a whole. And you're right, like that she is framing all of her arguments through the lens of, I need to win this election. I need to beat him fair and square. In order to do it even to the degree that she'll make almost make a show of not making a show. Yeah. No, I'm going to hunker down in my house like 99% of the people. I don't think there's a single person that would begr- be expected that someone like her would be behind a bunker. Mm-hmm. Like she would be inaccessible. I would almost say that you someone would argue the opposite that it would show a great amount of hubris to say i'm just gonna stay in my house and not put up any real extra protection um that i could have access to because really no one's gonna touch me anyway Mm -hmm. right and you see i think nicole you raised that point like there's a world of difference like yes both her and joe are staying behind you know not super fortified places Joe has a metal door mm-hmm. to protect him mm-hmm. and the senator has doors, bombs, um, bodyguards, armed troopers. Like there is a world of protection between her and Joe that she's not even acknowledging.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a missed piece of nuance here with how politics genuinely works mm-hmm. which is yes politicians at some point you kind of disconnect they may come in being you know we are of the people we're we're the voice this is my background you know i lived on a farm for 15 you know my my whole life and and i i want to take the the concerns of my community to washington dc there can be a real earnestness to it but the reason that people you know become lobbyists become uh you know kind of part of the the DC culture in a very specific way is because it's like BT dubs there's this whole other thing that you're missing mm-hmm. and if you really want to have an argument if you really want to be able to bring people on board with what you're doing You really have to look at this in a much more, I think, wide uh, perspective. And there's just little glimmers of that with her back and forth. She's listening to folks, but it seems almost condescending in a couple of moments, which I guess in and of itself is kind of authentic as someone that's, you know, been that person. It's like, cool. Thank you for coming. Bye. And knowing that nothing I said matters.
0: Right. I want to push forward a little bit because we're getting a little bit, I, you know, we've all got to work tomorrow. So I want to keep everybody all night. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about what I think the movie does well in terms of like, it does show that intersection. Like this is the first one that shows just how explicitly Religion, it's specifically evangelical Christianity, it would be tied to a super far right movement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said in the, in the, when we talked about anarchy, how the government has, or actually when we talked about the first movie, how the government has replaced religion mm-hmm. in terms of the figure to be worshipped. And by the time you get to this movie, the two are intertwined again. Like your government figures are ministers. Like, the, the president, I think he is the president in this movie, like, Minister Edwidge is, like, the leader of the party. Or not the leader, he's the figurehead of the party. There's, like, a cabal that is above him really pushing all of the strings. Um, but it's very much tied into, like, a perversion of Christian faith in that it shows, like, people being punished. You have the person who suffers from addiction that is, like, tied to a... Uh, trolley cart and sacrificed and you, in a church setting where everybody is in their Sunday best but you know it ties in gun culture like how there are deals at the NRA and a matter of fact and Nicole you might know this like the NFFA is like supposed to be a spinoff of the NRA like becoming a um, more explicit rather than lobbyist power um, watching this movie what was the moments you see here that end up playing out in real life are pretty crazy like number one you have rowan making the argument on the her stump speech we're arguing for the soul of the Mm -hmm. nation which how often we heard that in 2020 like we are it's not really about two candidates at this point it's about like what do we want this country to represent we're fighting for the soul of the country there were some really frightful images mm-hmm. like watching that strike team sent in by the NFFA you know they have like white supremacy etched into white power etched into the back of their uniforms they're explicitly wearing nazi symbols and symbols of white power and you're thinking like that's pretty crazy how that would happen you know in a movie but we'll never see that here but in 2017 you have charlottesville yeah you have a president on a national debate stage telling the proud boys stand by and be Mm -hmm. ready. Uh, you have an ex president dining with the head of the proud boys, like heading with having dinner and breaking bread with them. Then you get to like January 6th and all the other hate groups and hate rallies. Um, it's kind of bananas to see in like a really short time, like, Oh shit, all of this stuff has become, real life the end of the movie which we'll talk about the they're not accepting the results of the election and there are riots going Mm -hmm. on um i found that's a brief snippet from an article in the new yorker um that is titled watching the purge and our nightmare year of politics and this was written in july of 2016 as the movies in theaters it's just a little snippet I'd planned to watch the Purge election year a few weeks ago. Then Alton Sterling was murdered, and Florando Castile bled out on camera, and a deranged veteran killed five men in the Dallas police force in purported revenge. Then another veteran killed three cops in Baton Rouge. I didn't want to watch people kill each other even in a movie. And, you know, this is getting even before we have Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the movements that sprung, like the Black Lives Matter protests of 2020, where you're seeing very real-life violence that are going on, and you're seeing it in here, violence in a way that mirrors what we see in everyday society. It just struck me as very eerie in an otherwise really light, fun movie to see how some of these things have actually played out.
1: But i think you're seeing that in all of them like we start off the franchise proper with footage that you would see on twitter of people being killed that would make rounds
0: i agree but i think what i'm saying is how it's more in this movie explicitly tied to government actions
1: yes yes to that 100% because now we're really delving into that piece because these were the conversations that we mm-hmm. were having specifically at this time. I want, um, because I think that we were really starting to see uh, we were, uh, the tea party had been a thing mm-hmm. for a minute and we are really starting to see that synergy between this evangelical culture and politics kind of revitalized in a way that I don't think that we were necessarily prepared for and then to kind of then see how these groups that you know for for so many years we were kind of able to kind of put to the side and say they're not a problem were suddenly starting to buck up because they were getting these tenants of support now um it yeah i it's it's a really i think horrifying journey to see how these things slowly build in the series and and truly in a way that mimic Mm -hmm. what we were seeing in reality
2: yeah the end of the movie makes me feel a little pit in my stomach every time it comes by because you've got not a happy ending because you know joe has died and it's sad but you've got Lainey and marcos at the store and they're they're literally rebuilding and it's like okay we're painting the walls we're refreshing we're gonna be okay and then it's like no people are riding because they don't like the results and then the movie ends and i'm like oh god it's a cycle you know um Mm -hmm. i mean it's great for the movie. because it is it does make me feel something um but it makes me feel something because it's just like too real and in 2016 we didn't even know what was coming we were sweet baby angels right. at that point bring right. me back to that innocence
0: didn't know how bad it was we sure be. didn't like really well I didn't had no idea maybe
2: others did but I didn't yeah i mean i think that the end of the film
1: again it just doesn't it's horrifying And it's also, I think, a reminder that there are folks that think one election is going to change X amount of years of what's been in place. It's going to change what initially brought this political party into power. Um, and that's not, that's not real, um. There's a lot of, I think, work, and that's kind of one of the things that, again, with Charlie's character gets kind of annoying, is that she does have kind of that pie-in-the-sky approach of, if I just get elected, everything will be fine. No. No, it's not. Because you have other people that you're working with, they're not changing roles. They're still going to be loyalists to the nffa or they're still going to be loyalists to the purge how are you going to work with them this isn't just i have minor differences this is we want you dead and sorry about it
0: well i think too that's my point where you were saying well in the first movie you see the footage during the credits but in the first movie what you have is like a government that has like condoned and has given its blessing for these actions and the second movie you see where they've sent out groups of people to do their bidding for them and by this one they're actively taking part and they're forming alliances with other companies and corporations and parties and then they're going out and they're actively taking part and to see that here and then see some of the things that have gone on In this country, in the past seven years, I think that's where it becomes very chilling. In that, like Mm -hmm. this kind of light action movie, feels way more prophetic than it should be. Yeah. So, and fun note. You
1: don't. Yeah, and I think that one of the things with anarchy in particular, um, and it will circle back to the first purge is that it really is about bringing in these groups because the purge isn't doing what it's mm-hmm. supposed to do. Um, it is, you know, like people aren't primed in the early stages of the purge. No one wants to go out and mm-hmm. just kill people. That's not the inclination. And then at this point, they don't need to bring no. in in folks. Everything is going as planned. Yeah. So I just have two more things
0: and then let's let's wrap up just cuz it's again it's a work night. The community the community aspect of it, you see in this movie um, with Lainey's character going out and trying to help other people as best she and her partner can. What do we think about the kind of like community call to arms or call to action that we see in this movie?
2: i think it seems realistic i feel like um people would do that especially years into the purge maybe not the Mm -hmm. first year or the first few years if they're sort of settling into what does this mean and what's this going to be like i do feel like there would be people who would sort of say okay you know my calling is to go out there and help people like i think of volunteer firefighters um and volunteer EMTs. Like, maybe emergency services aren't available, but maybe the volunteer emergency services get together and say, Hey, here's our cell phone numbers if you need something. Like, I, I can think of people in my life who would probably do that if they could.
0: Mm-hmm. Are they is Laney's is she off limits when she is out? as a paramedic i don't think it's explicitly stated but is it possible that there's like an unspoken agreement amongst purgers like at this point there's enough out there for us to get like we're not going to be there. We're there's no shortage of victims we're going to leave first responders alone
2: i mean she doesn't seem to be too worried for her safety like they drive by plenty of people and they're like have a drink with us and she's like we're working mm-hmm. um So there might be an unspoken community rule, but I'm sure she still has to sort of be on edge a little bit for people who come in from outside and don't know the unspoken rule. It seems that
1: she's kind of patrolling one particular area as well. So I would assume we don't know how long she's been doing this, um, but I would assume kind of to your point that people kind of know her or they know what she's doing. And so there is probably a sense of protection, but is that protection sanctioned? Absolutely not.
0: Okay. Um, The last bit I had is we were talking about the politics and the political ramifications of this movie. And it's interesting to me when I read, and we'll probably talk more about it when we get into the first Purge and the forever purge is like there's articles that are like the politics of this series are all over the map i'm like no they're not like it's pretty clear what side they're on they just might be messily stated at times but i don't think anyone is like yes this is a um right wing wet dream like they are really this movie these movies are pro murder um Is Rowan's act of mercy, we talked about it from like a political point of view, like I can't let this person become a martyr because it might cost me votes, but is it also like a sign of weakness? She's in a pretty precarious position. If she does kill him, you could see it coming off as hypocritical where she's condemning the purge publicly, but then technically taking part of it, even though he did kidnap her and tried to kill her. I don't think many would let this, her enemies would not let the self-defense argument fly. But on the other hand, like you said, Nicole, she's going to have to work with these people that tried to kill her. And there's nothing that's going to say, let's stop them from coming at her again. And what came to mind was every article that calls for reconciliation in this country, whenever it's like these two groups of persons that are, very far apart from one another on the political aisles. They need to come together. They need to reach out. Every article asks for the oppressed to be the ones that reach out. They're always asking for persons to forgive those that are abusing them. There's never a real call for the bigots, the homophobes, the TERFs. There's never really a call for them to say, like, why don't you just like live and let people live? you know like all these all you know these transgender persons are trying to do is live their life in peace and be authentic to who they are. Nothing about their existence is a threat to you in any way shape or form. They're not coming for your children. They're not grooming anyone. Leave them alone. If you disagree with them, that's fine, but there's nothing you have to do about it. The articles never state that. The articles are always about the persons that are being oppressed to Except that people are going to hate them. And it just feels very much like this character is like uh, uh, the end result of that. Well, I can't hurt this person that's trying to kill me because like the optics of that would be really bad. And maybe if I spare him, he'll see the error of his ways. It It doesn't work like that.
2: It's about power, right? It's about who has more power in the relationship or the you know whatever dynamic is at play and um asking someone with less power to acknowledge hey i have less power here will you please acknowledge me now that i have acknowledged that um because you can't ask i remember someone said to me when i was a teenager and it always stuck with me In a dating relationship, whoever is, uh, like, more invested or, like, least invested has all the power. And I understand that now more as an adult where it's like, if you're super into me but I'm not that into you, I have a ton of power over you, potentially, right? Very simplified version of that. And I think if you sort of, like, blow that power dynamic way up, that's what we're looking at in society when we ask people who are oppressed to sort of make room for their oppressors and say, why can't we all get along? It's just about who has more power in that situation. And that certainly is relevant when it comes to the purge. I mean, the purge has always been about who has more power. I would just say that I think,
1: specifically in this moment, she's talking about You know, if we kill this person, they're going to become a figurehead, a martyr for this cause. And is that the route that we want to take? And I do think that is a thought to have because it's one thing to say in the moment, yes, it's about power. This person is putting my life in danger. We obviously need to defeat a piece of this structure. Um you know that is doing so much harm and however i think that there's she's also thinking about like well in 10 years in 15 years further down the line if there is a populace um what story is being told how is that story being told Because, yeah, he may be recognized as this, he was murdered by someone who said they were against this, but he was very pro, a true martyr, (coughs) a true martyr and legend in this (coughs) cause. And really, everything took a turn after this. And I think that she's trying to be strategic in that way. I'm not saying <laughs> that the end result is right, but I understand the thought okay. because yes. Well,
0: I get that. So what how is history going to see it down the road? And you know, we'll see like the last movie in the series to this point is only it's set only 8 years after this and in 8 short years like you see how short people's memories are. The NFFA is Back in power and things go even more horribly wrong. um Any final thoughts while we wrap up here?
2: I, I mean, we've had a serious discussion, but it's a really fun movie, so I definitely yes, it recommend really is. it.
0: That's. And I said this when we covered the lat with Jess, and I talked about anarchy. Like these movies are mm-hmm. fun, and I can get why. um Like you said, Nicole, like they're your favorite series of the past. 10 to 20 years, like it totally makes sense. And the numbers don't lie. Like the first two movies we've covered, the downloads are way up. So it's like, oh, we need to cover more of, we need more purge movies, please get them out quickly. Um, But there's like a lot of like serious ideas under them that are like fascinating to dig into, even though the movies like don't necessarily cover them with a lot of nuance
1: yeah i mean i love this franchise very much and i probably give it too much grace because of kind of going off of what you just said that there are a lot of really heavy topics that are broached and the way that each film kind of delves into another pocket Mm -hmm. you keep you're like hmm all right, I was kind of disappointed with how the film talked about this, but the next mm-hmm. film, the next film's gonna yeah. really go hard. And so, I don't know, I feel like, is that the greatest approach to have for a franchise? Oh. It'd be like, no, trust me, come back, <laughs> because you can it's see gonna it, go great.
0: You can see the series finding its legs mm-hmm. with each with each subsequent movie. You can see the confidence maybe in terms of how it's approaching some of these subjects. Like this is the first one I think Mm. that really explicitly deals with racial issues and racial tensions. And you're going to see that much more in the next movie that we cover. And then you get to the forever purge and it is just a straight up allegory for the immigration policies of this country. And it really asks the audience to be, Empathetic to uh, to migrants, you know, in a way that like a lot of persons maybe wouldn't be able, to, aren't able to be sometimes. So that to me, it's going to be fascinating getting to these next two movies. But that's a story for another night. So before we head off tonight, let's talk a little bit about where our listeners can find us elsewhere. And Nicole, what is going on with your show?
1: So bodies of horror still on a little bit of a break. Um, over at Anatomy of a Screen, they, just because I'm not there, um, doesn't mean there isn't lots of content there. They've been covering the You series. They have, um, uh, the new season and I think just started the Love Hurts series. Mm-hmm. So... Lots of good, good stuff, but I will be back in March um, to talk about uh, Eyes Without a Face. Great. And
2: I'm so excited.
0: Excellent. And Ari, how about yourself? What's going on with ghouls?
2: just lots. Everything you could ever want. So um, check out ghoulsmagazine.com. You can find us on all the socials at Ghouls Mag or Ghouls Magazine. We just wrapped up our February anti-Valentine's Day month. And for March, there's a new theme. Um, I think by the time this episode comes out, March is going to be good for her month. And we have... Lots of exciting stuff coming up for that. We've got a podcast, and we've got members-only content. We've got free content, so check that out. And you can follow me on all socials at re underscore hellraiser. I don't really know how to use Instagram, but I'm trying to learn. But pretty much follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd, because I have a pretty good handle on those.
0: Excellent. You can find my other show, the uh podcast. the pot (laughs) of the pendulum you can find my other show psychoanalysis a horror therapy podcast everywhere you get your shows uh march is sibling rivalry month so our first episode is already up where uh special guests half of the v and i talked for a very long time about whatever happened to baby jane we have a bunch of other great episodes planned for this month so check that out everywhere you get your shows make sure to follow me at Mike underscore Snoonian on Twitter and Instagram and at MikeChumpChange on Letterboxd. Um, while we're here, we are going to be relaunching the Patreon site. We'll have more details about that when we do our... Uh, that is a great... Nicole's has <laughs> entered the chat with Basket Case and... Yeah, we may have to make that happen, Nicole. All right, yeah. that fifth, that mm-hmm. fifth Thursday of the month, you're gonna have to jump on, and we're gonna have to do basket case for okay. psychoanalysis. Okay, um, little pod planning as we go here. We will have a Patreon le- relaunch uh, coming up here by the end of the month. Uh, the crew has been awesome in volunteering some ideas and i want to pay them for helping me do this show and you can help us out in the meantime by making sure that you give us a five star rating write us a review write a few kind words about why you're enjoying the show if you're enjoying it if you're not enjoying the show um just move on first of all what's the matter with you yeah we're two hours in (laughs) like Like, what are you still doing here (laughs) yeah And yeah, why? (laughs) Um, but leave a few kind words, uh, especially with Apple podcasts. It goes a long, long way to having folks find us, uh, hit us over on Twitter at pod in pendulum. And that is about it. I will tell you what we have coming up. Um, next week we are going to be covering scream six. That'll be the next posted episode we have. So, I am very excited. I got my tickets for it today for a Friday uh, afternoon showing of it. Super excited. Listeners, you know how I feel about that franchise, so I can't wait to cover it. And after that, we'll be returning with our final two movies in the Purge series. I think we've made the agreement we're going to do one episode on the TV show since it is set within the world of the movies and it does tie into them. We'll, it, it should be interesting because that's going to be 20 hours of TV that I have to watch between now and then. Um, but I think we're going to like do at least like a, a loose episode on the show. And after that, we have a uh, two-movie series we're going to cover – uh, we are going to be talking about which
2: movies are. Oh. We're going to cover Marcus Dunstan's masterpieces, "The Collector" and "The Collection," movies that live inside of my heart.
0: Hmm. I I remember really liking the collection.
2: Yep, that's what a lot of people say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I remember the word on that movie being like, "Holy shit! Like this is so much better than." The Collector, which I still haven't seen. Mm. So that should be really fun. And I think that is to wet our listeners' appetites a little bit. Because come August, we're going to be tackling the Saw franchise every week for 10 weeks. Up to and through Saw 10 hitting this October. And Nicole, from the way you're shaking your head, you're like, yeah, I'm out on those episodes.
1: But no, really. Uh, John Kramer is a real one.
0: Okay, I might He's be a real
1: out. one. Patient advocate mm-hmm. to the stars. Um, yeah, fighting for the true. rights. Fighting for the rights of, of those. <sighs> Uh, medical care.
0: I, I might be handing over the reins to y'all. <laughs>
2: yeah, Mike, you just take a break. We'll just run your pod. <laughs> okay. That no, you great. need to. I you're can, not like, getting out of listen. watching these movies, Mike.
0: <laughs> I will be purged, <laughs> if I'll be purged if I don't. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, that should be a good time. So, listeners, thanks so much. We hope you are. Enjoying the series so far. Like I said, rate, review, and subscribe everywhere you're getting your shows. Until then, stay safe.